Welcome to Encounter. We want nothing more than to help you find and follow Jesus. If you're a college student in Central Illinois, join us Monday nights, ISU's campus. We'd love to see you there. I am thrilled to be here. I've got to say the energy in the room is fantastic. I'm already loving being around all of you. We were driving down here tonight, Case and I, and we stopped at Portillo's for dinner on the way. Yeah! So we're sat outside, and I said to Case, there's a girl, there's a couple of students that are there, and the girl's like wearing a white tutu. That's kind of weird. You, maybe you're here. I think maybe, yeah, 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 yeah. So uh, I was thinking, that's kind of odd. Then I got here, and it wasn't odd at all. In fact, that's actually quite normal compared to what some of the others here with purple tails and gorilla suits. But uh, we're, we're loving it. We're loving it. It's a great place to be. The energy's great. So... Um, over the years, Casey and I were involved in some different ministries. We'll probably talk about that a little bit over the coming couple of days. But um, right now, currently, I'm the pastor of a church. It's a church that we started in 2013 called Connect Church. And our goal was then, and it still is now, to connect our community to Christ. That's our vision statement. That's what we, we just want to be known for as a church in the community of Washington, somewhere that connects our community to Christ. So... Over this weekend, I thought it'd be really cool to just focus on a few of those elements and see how we can uh, tie that in. And I, Encounter is the name of your group. Is that the name of the group? Yes. Yeah. So how, how can Encounter embrace that same philosophy of what it looks like to connect your community to Christ? And I've kind of broken it down into three areas that we'll kind of look at over the next two or three sessions. To, what does it look like to connect to Christ himself? What does that look like to connect to Christ? And then what does it look like to connect to our community, to connect to our community, the people outside? And then finally, what does it look like to connect to one another? I'm hoping that this weekend, that'll be a big thing for some of you guys here, that you will connect to one another. Maybe you're getting to know some people for the very first time this weekend. This will begin a, um, a two, three, four year, maybe a lifetime friendship with some people here in this room. So as I said, when I came to America, um, when I was 24, uh, a long time ago, I remember arriving from England. If any of you have been to Europe, um, it's a lot different. It's kind of a post-Christian society. Uh, not many people go to church, uh, not many churches. So I arrive in central Illinois, and there's just like churches everywhere. I'm like, this is brilliant. Everyone's a Christian. And I would uh, go to these churches and meet these people. And after a while, I started to realize, wow, this is, this is really cool. There's lots of churches. And it's really cool that there's lots of people going to church. But I started to realize that not everyone was passionately pursuing Jesus. There were a lot of people who were going to church and, and checking the boxes, maybe going to the youth group. And, but really, as far as their lives actually being led by Jesus, their lives you know, following, surrendering the lives of Jesus, just because they were going to church didn't mean they were living a fully surrendered life to Jesus. So we started this church back in uh, 2013, and our desire was to reach um, some of those people in our community who didn't go to church anywhere who didn't have a relationship with Jesus. And we want to introduce them to the, the life-changing uh, relationship you can have when you follow Jesus. We had several friends in our neighborhood who weren't Jesus followers, and, and we would share with them our story of what he's done in our lives, and we'd invite them to come to this brand new church we've started. And the cool thing about connecting with Jesus is you may have grown up in church, you may think you understand, but, but when you really draw close to Jesus, sometimes he completely turns things upside down. Your expectation of who he is and your expectation of what he'll do in your life can be changed the closer you get to him. 
I wonder how many of you here tonight are fans of the show Stranger Things. Any Stranger Things fan here tonight? Yeah. Well, I love it because it's a great show and because it's set in the greatest decade ever, the 1980s, which was when I was a teenager and uh, having a great time. I loved the Kate Bush song the first time it came out. And now my 15-year-old daughter is singing it. I'm like, this is so weird. But the reality is that here's the deal, guys. 30 years from now, your kids will be watching a show on TV and it'll be set in the 2010s and the 2020s. Yes, I know, isn't that kind of crazy? And there'll be a song that'll get really big and you'll say, I remember that song. It was on TikTok. <laughs> Me and your mum, we used to do this dance to it and your kids will be like, you're so weird. And you're like, but back then it was cool. And that's what it's like for me. I'm listening to this, this Kate Bush song. But, but the thing I loved, and I forgot to press my little button here, so I'm going to catch up with myself here. So let's see if this, there we go, Stranger Things. The thing I loved about Stranger Things is it's all about the upside down world. The upside down world. If you've seen the show, um, it's set in this place where there's these uh, crazy goings on in, a, in another realm, the upside down world. So, so they live in this world, but there's kind of this, this mirror, this, this creepy kind of upside down version of their world. And it's dark and it's scary and no one wants to get, get stuck in there. And the cool thing is, the more I read about Jesus and the more I read about what he teaches, I realize that he actually came to turn our world upside down. This is how he taught 2,000 years ago. And I think still today, he wants to turn our world upside down. But the difference with Jesus is that the world we live in the world that we're very familiar with, this isn't the way it's meant to be. The upside-down world that Jesus wants to introduce to us, that's the perfect place. That's the perfect world. That's the way God created it to be. In fact, Jesus talks about this when we read in the Bible of his ministry. He talks about this, this brand-new kingdom that he's come to establish. Throughout the Gospels, those are the four books that tell us about the life of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Jesus oftentimes talks about this new kingdom, this new world, this upside-down world that he's come to bring. And I want to look at a little passage tonight um, when Jesus is explaining what it's like to be in this upside-down world, when he's demonstrating how life can be so different in this world. He talks about this in Matthew chapter 4 verses 23 through 25. Matthew chapter 4, verses 23 through 25. Listen to how Matthew describes the goings-on in the life of Jesus at that time. Jesus traveled throughout the region of Galilee, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom, this upside-down world. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. News about him spread as far as Syria, and people soon began bringing to him all who were sick. And whatever their sickness or disease, or if they were demon-possessed or epileptic or paralyzed, he healed them all. Large crowds followed him wherever he went. People from Galilee, the ten towns, Jerusalem, for all over Judea and the east of the Jordan River. So what we learn here, okay, is that the reputation of this man Jesus, who's just kind of come onto the scene, it's growing. People are talking about this guy Jesus expectations are growing. And here's the thing. Some of you might have heard this, this phrase before, this word before, but the expectations are growing because some are wondering if he could be the Messiah. There's, there's rumors, there's rumblings. What if Jesus, you know, they're talking about the sicknesses being healed, the teaching, 
the good news about the kingdom. What if he is the Messiah? Now, for those who don't know, okay, the Messiah is who uh, the people of Israel had been holding out hope for. For hundreds of years, they believed that God was going to send this, this promised person, this Messiah, to rescue them. They had this high expectation that one day the Messiah would come. They were all hoping and praying that maybe in my lifetime I'll get to see the Messiah. And the thing is, they had this expectation of who the Messiah would be and what the Messiah would do. Their expectation was that he would come and, and he would overthrow governments. He would reign. He would be like a, um, a leader of an army that would, would overthrow all the enemy. The, the people of Israel at the time, right now in the time of Jesus, they're, they're living in captivity. The Romans are in charge. So, so they're imagining that this Messiah is going to come and rescue them and set them free. These were their expectations. And they're looking to this man, Jesus, thinking maybe he's the Messiah. But the challenge is that sometimes we can have these incredibly high expectations and then the reality is a little bit different. Their expectations of who Jesus was, Jesus kind of messed with their expectations a bit. You see, his idea of what the Messiah was, who the Messiah was, was very different than what they expected. Sometimes expectations of reality can be far apart. I found some pictures here. Oops, I'm going backwards. He said, don't press the top button. I just press the top button. Sometimes, any of you ever had this? This is your expectation of snowmen. And then when it snows, this is the reality. <laughs> Anyone ever made a snowman that looks anything like the guy on the right? I know I haven't. Maybe some of the ladies in the house here, your expectation is, I'm going to try one of those really cool, like, fashionable, is that like a pixie cut? Is that what that's called, ladies? Yes, thank you, thank you. Oh, I see. <laughs> pixie cut. I'm going to try that. This is what it ends up looking like. <laughs> Expectations, Reality. How about this? Guys in the room, how I feel when I'm wearing a tight shirt. How I look when I'm wearing a tight shirt. <laughs> Expectations, reality. How I think I look when I check out girls. How I actually look. <laughs> Expectations, how I think I look while I'm driving. Reality, how I actually <laughs> look. It's my man, Mr. Bean, right there. We have these expectations, and sometimes the reality is a little different, and that's exactly what was happening here in the time of Jesus. People were shocked because they were expecting Jesus to come and set them free and liberate them, and he starts to teach, and it's completely upside down to what they expected. But I want to tell you tonight that when you get to hear what he actually did say, it will transform your lives forever if you take it to heart. So let's listen to one of the very first things he said, one of the very first opportunities he had to talk to a, a large crowd of people. It's in Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. It says, One day, as he saw the crowds gathering, Jesus went up on the mountainside and he sat down. His disciples gathered around him and he began to teach them. Imagine the scene. Hundreds of people on the hillside. This man who's healed. And, and they're like, I cannot wait to hear what he's got to say. He's going to tell us about this brand new kingdom that he's coming to establish. And he starts out by saying, blessed are the, and they're like excited, like blessed, happy, like blessed. This is going to be amazing. I know this is going to be something big. 
Right? People are like, maybe it's going to be me. Maybe the way I've lived my life, I will be one of the blessed people. I will live in his kingdom. And he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. I feel like it was probably like a bit of a, oh, really? Blessed are the poor in spirit. And he says, for theirs is the kingdom of God. They're like, wait, 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 Jesus, wait. Messiah? Conquering king? You've come to rescue us, liberate us? What's this peer, poor in spirit nonsense? This thing we've been anxiously anticipating, and you're saying being poor in spirit is going to be blessed? That's where we'll find happiness? Because you see, this was completely upside down from what the religious leaders of Jesus' day would have been teaching. You see, people were used to being told by the religious leaders that being on good terms with God was all about being really good at being good. The people who were the, the, the upright religious leaders, they were really good at being good. Which meant that most people there that day listening to Jesus speak already felt like they didn't measure up. Maybe it was their race, maybe it was their status in life, whatever it may have been, they felt disconnected because they weren't like the religious folk. And along comes Jesus and said, actually, blessed are the poor in spirit. Most of the people who heard that would have known that they didn't measure up. They weren't part of the it crowd, religiously speaking. They weren't religious superstars. So this upside-down idea that Jesus brings would actually be good news for them because there's another um, translation, the New Living Translation, if you have that Bible. Listen to how that same verse, Matthew 5, verse 3, reads because I think it explains it even better than the phrase poor in spirit. It says, God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him. So poor in spirit. God blesses those who are poor and who realize their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Imagine Jesus is here tonight speaking to you individually saying, you can be blessed, you can be happy, you can know happiness if you understand your need for me. This was a few years back in 2010, the 5th of August uh, to be exact. The 5th of August 2010 33 Chilean miners were trapped underground when the cave they were working in, the mine they were working in, collapsed around them. They were 2,300 feet beneath the surface of the earth. 2,300 feet underground, working away, and suddenly the walls, the roof around collapses, and they are trapped underground. Only one managed to escape the mine as it was collapsing. No one above the surface, knew if they'd survived or not. There was no way of communicating with them, no way of getting a message to them or from them. So the people above the surface, over 2,000 feet above the surface, had no idea if these guys were alive or dead. But they were determined to try and find out if any of them survived. So for almost two weeks, from above the surface of the earth, they were drilling down to try and find signs of life. The trapped miners could hear the drills where they were in this cavern, trapped from any way of getting out, but they could hear the drills. But every time they heard one, it never came into the cavern in which they were in. Sometimes it got super close, but never actually found its way in. On August the 19th, two weeks after the collapse, 
one of the probes that they were using to drill down, it reached the area where they believed the miners were, were trapped. But when it got there, there were no signs of life. It would have been so easy at that point just to have given up and just assumed that these, these guys were dead. But they carried on. They carried on drilling. They carried on. And three days later, three days later, another probe broke through, this time into the space where the miners were trapped. Imagine what that must have been like. After two and a half weeks, suddenly to see this drill come through the ceiling into the, the cave in which you're in. The miners got their shovels, they got metal objects, and they just started banging this drill as hard as they could. And the people above the surface could hear and feel the vibrations. They knew that there were people still alive. What the miners did was they actually attached a note to the end of the drill. So when the drill was taken up out of the surface, the people above found it. That's that note. It's very famous. It's Spanish, and it reads, all 33 of us are fine in the shelter. So now, the people above ground know that there are 33 miners beneath the ground. So they start digging. They start sending supplies. They send a camera down there. They have a way to communicate with the miners. But it takes 69 days, a little over two months, from the time the mine collapsed to finally, on October the 13th, rescue the very first miner. By this point, they have cameras down there, they have a live feed, and they broadcast live around the world when the very first miner was rescued. They reckon over a billion people around the world were watching on this day when this happened. Can you imagine that? 17 minutes to get. That's how deep down under the earth they were. Just imagine for a moment tonight being one of those miners trapped underground. Imagine what that would be like. They knew there wasn't a thing they could do to save themselves. There was no way they could dig their way out, no way they could engineer their own rescue. They were utterly dependent on someone outside of themselves to save them. Let's just feel that feeling of helplessness here for a moment. Because Jesus was saying the poor in spirit are those who look at themselves like that. Who understand that we are utterly dependent on him. That no matter what we try, we can try to be good enough, we can try to do as many things right, or try to just not do things wrong, but we'll never break through this barrier that what the Bible calls sin has created between us and God. Our only hope of rescue, like those miners, is if someone above comes down for us. And that's what God did for you and for me. 
He sent Jesus down. He sent Jesus down to live and to teach and to turn things upside down, but ultimately to give up his life for you and for me. And you see, in Jesus' time, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they were living like they'd solved the problem. They were living like they'd figured a way out. They had this self-righteous attitude. They looked down upon anyone who was not like them. On the outside, they prided themselves in all these rules that they followed. How good they all were at dotting the I's and crossing the T's when it came to their behavior. But in that moment, Jesus is saying, no, no, no. It's not the prideful or the perfect who are happy. They are not the ones who belong in this new kingdom. It's the poor in spirit. It's the ones who realize we can't do it. We need Jesus. And I wonder if today some of us make that same mistake. Focusing on the outward appearance, trying to make sure we do enough good things or hopefully not doing enough bad things. This can create a couple of problems. For some, it can create this idea that we carry ourselves with this false sense of pride and maybe a religious spirit. Look at how good I am. Look at how much I read my Bible. Look at all the great things I do. We have this kind of religious spirit. Or maybe the other side of the problem is, is some of you here tonight, uh, on the outside, you don't give this away. But on the inside, you just feel like, how could God ever accept me? If you knew the stuff in my mind, if you knew the stuff going on in my life, you'd know that he'd never accept me. So some were in a place of thinking, well, I could never have a relationship with God because of the wrong things I've done. Some of us, we think, well, I can because I'm going to try to be good enough and I'm going to try and do enough things right. But the reality is when Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, he was saying, neither of those work. It's coming to a place of saying, Jesus, I need you. I need you. And don't misunderstand this. Poverty in spirit is not saying to God, I'm, I'm insignificant. I have no value. No, it's saying no matter how hard I try, God, I can't do a thing to undo the things I've done that have put this relational distance between me and you. And the poor in spirit say to God, I realize you have every reason not to bless me, but because you love me, you do. And because you love me, you refuse to leave me trapped beneath the ground and you came and you rescued me this uh, picture is a man by the name of Brennan Manning he's a great author and uh, about 15 years ago he actually came and spoke at a church in Peoria he was a best-selling author who spoke all over the world he was a funny brilliant guy but he's also a recovering alcoholic once he shared about a time in his life when he'd been on a drinking binge for days and days. He was wandering the alleys in clothes that were filthy, sleeping on the streets of Fort Lauderdale. And one morning he woke up in a doorway having thrown up on himself the night before. A mum was walking by with her daughter and as the little girl pointed him out in the doorway, the, wo the woman said to her little girl, Honey, you stay away from people like that. They are nothing but garbage. Then the mum took her daughter's hand and crossed to the other side of the street so they didn't have to go near him. Brennan Manning said, you know what? That was then, but this is now. Now I'm a best-selling author and I speak all over the world. But understand this. God loved me just as much that morning in Fort Lauderdale as he does today. 
There's nothing I can do to get God to love me more, and there's nothing I can do to get God to love me less than he does right now. And the same is true for you. He loves you just as you are and not as you should be because none of us are as we should be. So the band are going to lead us here in a, another couple of songs in a second. But right before they do, I want to just close out this evening just, just by pausing to pray. And I loved the story that Ben told earlier about being in that um, Shore microphone warehouse, being in that silent room. In a second, I'm going to lead us in a prayer, and then I'm going to pause, and I'm going to just stand here in silence just for a few seconds. And I don't think it's quiet enough for you to be able to hear the blood rushing through your ears, but I am hoping and praying that it is quiet enough that you hear God whisper to you, I love you so much. I love you so much. I've come to where you are at. I know you needed rescuing. All I'm looking from for you is just to reach out and take my hand. Allow me to rescue you. You don't need to try. You don't need to shy away. Just allow me to rescue you where you're at. And maybe tonight you'll just whisper a prayer. You don't even have to say it loud. It's just in your heart. Maybe tonight you'll say that prayer to Jesus, saying, Jesus, you said you blessed the poor and those who realize their need for him. Tonight, Jesus, I realize my need for you. I need you in my life. And maybe it's the very first time you've ever prayed that prayer. Or maybe it's kind of a recommitment. Jesus, I know I've kind of strayed away here. I've tried to do a lot of things in my own strength, but help me never to forget, I need you, Jesus. I can't do this without you. I want you in the driver's seat of my life. Lord Jesus, thank you for this incredible group of students here tonight, Lord. Lord Jesus, I know that you look down and just see all the incredible potential and energy and wonderful plans you have for all of their lives. You've created everyone in this room. You have such incredible destiny upon every one of them. And tonight, Lord, we come before you recognizing that unlike the religious leaders of Jesus' day who thought that they could work their way out of the problem they were in, we can't, Lord. This this sin, these wrong things that are in our lives, Lord, they've created this barrier. And like those miners, we're trapped. And our only chance of rescue is if you'll come to us and you've done just that. So tonight, Lord, as I pause here for a second, just speak to these guys and girls where they're sitting. And Lord, hear their silent prayers as they respond to you. Jesus, I believe some of the sweetest sounds to your ear have have come from this room tonight. As we've sung, as we've laughed, as we've had fun together. But the greatest thing, Lord, I think that you've heard from this place tonight is people around this room saying, Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I realize I need you. I can't do it on my own. I can't make it through the challenges I'm facing on my own. I could try my own strength, Lord, but I've realized my need for you. And that's not a sign of weakness, Lord. You said that that's a sign of of blessedness, of happiness. We can be in our best place when we come to that point of poverty and spirit of realizing, Jesus, we need you. 
advances the kingdom when we understand that. Thank you, Jesus. Thanks for listening. Find out more about Encounter and ways to get involved at isuencounter.org.